Good morning. Well, a very terrible thing happened on Friday in Connecticut, which we're all aware about. We live in a very broken and fallen world where very troubling things happen. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ enters into our sin and our shame and our suffering and our pain. Jesus also enters into our questions. When Friday happened, all over America, people were asking the same question, why? Why God? And it's the same question that Jesus Christ asked from the cross. Why God? Why is this happening? There are things that we can do to make a difference. Because when this kind of thing happens, after the initial shock and we feel so empty about it, we say, what can I do? I'm just going to mention one. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will heal their land. Healing is what we need. We need God's help. That act of violence could happen at any time, anywhere. We need God's help. So we're going to take just a moment here to pause and, and pray. And we'll begin with just a moment of silence, remembering those who are suffering in a very, very deep way in Newtown, Connecticut this morning. So would you please join me for a moment of silence? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that you have given us in the Psalms. That you are close to the brokenhearted. That you bind up the wounds. And Lord, we ask that you would be with those this morning in Connecticut who are suffering in a very, very deep way. Lord, bring healing to this land. As we've sung this morning that you hold all things together, would you hold things together in this world that is so broken? Help us, Lord, because we cannot help ourselves. We need you to lead us and to guide us and to direct us, to bring comfort and strength, but also, God, to show us what we can do to prevent terrible situations like this. We look to you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody, today. Uh, just briefly, a couple quick announcements. Uh, they're in your blue bulletin, actually just three. And three things that I want to say that we can do to these announcements to, to make a difference. The first one is this. Jesus says in Matthew 25 that every church should make it a priority of welcoming guests. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. We should make it 
a priority to welcome guests to church. So we are having on January 5th a lunch for the First Impressions team. The First Impressions team um, incorporates a number of very uh, important roles. We have a, a parking ministry that we're launching soon, very important. Uh, that we, we want to begin to have people in the parking lots welcoming uh, people in and hoping that everything would go smoothly. So we're going to do that. Uh, we, of course, it incorporates greeters. We have a new bus ministry that's going to start. Uh, we now have three buses. We have our own mini fleet of buses, and uh, we're going to have them out there. We need bus drivers. So if you feel like you're a decent driver of a bus or could be, have the potential to be, a decent driver of a bus, and you can smile and welcome and get people safely from the parking lot to the front door, then please, there's a table in the lobby, sign up. We need greeters, hospitality people, newcomers, table. There's The whole list is in here. This is really, really important. This isn't like a small thing. Oh, yes, you need more people to stand and hand out bulletins. No, no, it's bigger than that, everybody. Uh, this is one of the most important roles at Grace welcoming people. We said this a few weeks ago. The sermon starts in the parking lot. Long before people hear Derek or I speak, they start making decisions. Do I want to come back to this place? They make those decisions because of what happens in the parking lot, what happens at the front door. So we encourage you to pray about it. Think about it. It's really important and read up on it. Um, you don't have to join the team if you come to lunch. You could get a free lunch. Not serve on, the, I mean, free lunch. I'm not cooking. I'm not cooking somebody better than me. Second thing to make a difference is this. We have a holiday service schedule that you should be aware of that's in here. Because, and it's all listed for you, but real briefly. Next Sunday, we have one service. One 1030 service. We're all going to be in one service together and our children have prepared something and our youth have prepared something and then I'm going to talk for a few minutes uh, kind of uh, using what they have spoken to us about and sung to us about make a few comments one 1030 service next Sunday right here Christmas Eve we have three services at Christmas Eve not here not here at the church office four five thirty and seven the sanctuary at the church office some of you have been there before this will be the last year the sanctuary at the church office looks like it does because after Christmas Eve, everything changes there. We're renovating everything. We've had this great blessing where we've, given, we've been given much more freedom there, and so we're kind of in some ways taking over, and the pews will be gone. And so if you want to see it one last time, Christmas Eve, this is it. Get in there Christmas Eve and see it. We're going to have a, a wonderful time for 5.30 and 7, and encourage you to invite somebody to the candlelight service that we'll have there. Finally, December 30th, just one service, just one service here at 10.30 on December 30th. Last thing, in your bulletin, you have a postcard, and it simply says life. Over this past year, that has been the biggest thing that people have said uh, to me so much. You know, they say, I feel like... I'm not really living. I'm just existing. And I have heard it, it seems like 100 times. It's probably been more like 20. But, it, you know what I'm saying? But it's just so much. So 
we are going to do a study on the Gospel of John. And here's the reason why. One-third of all the times the word life is used in the New Testament, it's used in that book alone, that one book alone. Like John is like the expert on how we can really live. And so we're going to just drill down in that for, six, uh, for seven weeks, actually, focus on that one thing. How can we, what does God's word have to say about that? So you could take this, number one, you could just pray. God, whew, a lot of people pray that we would find what that is, what God would have to say. And also, it's a postcard. You could send this to a friend. You could slap a little postcard stamp on that, send it to a friend and say, hey, just was thinking of you. If every one of us did that here, uh, it could make a big difference in somebody's life. Thanks for listening. Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them, and of course my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, right. but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight-pound... Six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say that Powerade is delicious, mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 I don't know about you, but that is one of my favorite all-time clips right there. I love the line... Where he says, when you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want.
But I like the Christmas Jesus the best, and I'm saying grace. Well, I wouldn't say that when I pray that I like the Christmas Jesus, the eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus the best, focusing my prayers. But I sure do love Christmas. You know, Christmas is just such a wonderful time of year. You you drive around and you see all the Christmas lights and all the houses that are decorated so nicely. And, um, you you know, people are out singing Christmas carols. And this time of year you turn on the radio or you go into the mall and you hear all those Christmas songs. And uh, you've got the Christmas trees that are all decorated. And you look forward to giving and receiving presents. And, you know, you're looking forward to, to not killing those annoying family members that just drive you crazy as you get together this time of year. And so there's just all this wonderful stuff that's happening. And then, you know, this time of year, you also hear from Luke chapter 2, which is the story of Jesus' birth. And you hear about Mary and Joseph and this beautiful little baby lying in a manger, so cute and cuddly. And it just kind of makes you feel good all over this time of year. But in the midst of all this, I actually find that I have a problem. And the problem that I have is, you know, it's great. Everything is so decorated and so wonderful. And you hear all these familiar songs and you have all these Christmas traditions. And you hear about this beautiful, cute little baby lying in a manger. All this stuff sounds so great. But the problem that I have is sometimes it's so familiar and so cute and so perfect that I have a hard time kind of figuring out, so what exactly does this, like, what difference does this make in my life? Like this week, right now, like what difference does this baby make for me? Uh, Oftentimes, I kind of lose sight of that. I struggle to, to, to grasp perspective in the midst of the Christmas season. And maybe you can relate. Maybe, you know, as you hear these songs that are so familiar to you and you participate in Christmas traditions that you've been doing maybe your entire life, that this stuff that happens year after year after year, it's kind of like, yeah, but is it still speaking to you? Is it still making a difference? Is there still something that you take away and apply to your life? Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 15, second book of the New Testament. We have been trekking all through the Gospel of Mark. We find ourselves in Mark chapter 15 today, which is a very interesting chapter in Mark. You also have the words on your outline in your bulletin. So I think that actually we may be the only church in the world today that is looking at Mark chapter 15 as we are in the season of Advent, looking forward to Jesus' birth. And here's Mark chapter 15. You know what it's about? It's about Jesus' trial before Pilate, his mockery, his torture, and his crucifixion on a cross. What in the world? Why why are we studying this text today? It's, I have a, a good friend, uh, his name is Jerome. We've been friends for years and years, and we talk uh, pretty much every week. And uh, he, he, he goes to a very traditional church where they're in the, the Advent season, and so all the readings are looking forward to Jesus' birth. And he goes to me, he goes, man, your church is crazy. He's like, he's like, every other church in America, you know, we're looking forward to Jesus' birth and baby Jesus coming, and y'all done and killed him this week. So uh, anyway, it's, it's very interesting that we're in this passage. But I actually, in the midst of this Christmas season, I can't think of a more important text for us to look at than Mark chapter 15 with Jesus hanging on a cross. 
And, and here's why. If you want to write this in, feel free. Jesus' greatest moment wasn't in a manger. It was on a cross. So what I want us to do this morning is um, I'm going to read some verses from Mark chapter 15. And these verses give us three powerful reasons why Jesus' greatest moment wasn't in a manger. It was actually on that cross. So before we jump in, you guys uh, pray with me. Lord God, we just want to say thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to come together and uh, to just spend time trying to connect with you, to read your word. And uh, Lord, we're just asking you to speak to us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to start in verse 27 of Mark 15. So Jesus has been on trial and he's been severely flogged. won't go into all the details, but he has been just badly beaten and now he is hanging on a cross. We pick it up in verse 27. It says, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Jesus has has actually said, and you find it in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, Jesus had said, destroy this temple, and he was actually referring to himself as a temple. He said, destroy this temple And I will raise it up again in three days. He was speaking to his resurrection that was going to happen. Well, everyone who heard this assumed that he was speaking of the temple in Jerusalem. And so they were mocking him here, saying, come down from the cross, save yourself. It says in verse 31, in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those crucified with him heaped insults on him. So here we see Jesus, and he's mocked, he's insulted, utterly humiliated. As he hangs on a cross undergoing the worst execution imaginable. See, it's not in a manger, but it's on the cross that Jesus knows our suffering. Do you want to write that in? It's not in a manger. It's on the cross that Jesus knows our suffering. You know, I don't fully grasp why God's plan was how it was, I am so sorry that Jesus had to suffer and die for us. But it's one of the greatest things, actually, about the Christian faith. What this means for us is that we have a God who knows what it's like to suffer because he has actually experienced suffering himself. I I suffer from a, a quirky thing that happens to me. So when, whenever I get badly injured or when I get really sick, I just pass out. I mean, I just, I just go down. So um, a number of years ago at Grace, we were meeting in Key Elementary School, um, and some of you guys were there. I can already see you laughing. Right now, I see you. 
laughing at me. Okay, that's fine. Um, because it was hilarious. Anyway, so I was moving a table, and uh, I dropped the table down onto my foot. I was wearing some flip-flops at the time, and um, this, this it just, like, totally whacked my toe, took my toenail off, and, you know, blood everywhere. And I looked down, and I was like, oh, that's not good. And I remember calling out to a couple of the guys on the sound team, and I said, can somebody come grab me because I'm about to fall down. I'm about, I'm about to go down. And sure enough, I pass out, um, go down on the, on the ground, and I wait, you know, if you ever passed out and you wake up, it's really weird when you wake up and everyone's like looking over you, you know, like bizarre. Um, and and I, I can't help it, but this is just what I do. I'm like the perfect person to have in an emergency situation, you know, because I'm just out. And, and in the last few times that I've had the flu and I got really sick, you know when you get really sick and like you just, you know that you're about to lose your lunch. And so I, you just make a beeline for the bathroom. The last few times that I've done that, and this is a pattern throughout my life, I'll, the last thing I'll remember is like, I, oh, I got it, and I'll run, and, I, I'll, and then last, the next thing I know, I'm on the bathroom floor. Just, just header, boom. And actually, the last time, it's hilarious. I, um, like, I, you know, I, I remember, oh, I'm going to lose it, and I, I went in the bathroom, and I woke up, and I'm on the floor, and like my arm is in the toilet. Like, just like, I'm on the ground. It was, it was pretty awesome. Um, so the thing is, this is, this is a, a tremendous source of enjoyment for friends and family members of mine. They really like to have fun at my expense on this one. And, um, and so, you know, it's been hard through the years because, you know, nobody understands that. I mean, maybe there's some of you who are totally getting, if you are, come, out, come see me after the service, okay? Um, so everyone's just kind of joking, think it's hilarious, you know, whatever. It's just not a very manly thing to pass out uh, in those situations. Well, it was just a couple of weeks ago, and we were um, having dinner with um, some of my family members, and my, my brother-in-law was there, and we got on the subject of me passing out somehow, and um, it, it tur- turns out that my brother-in-law, he passes out with needles, and it doesn't just have to be like someone sticking him with a needle. If he sees somebody else getting stuck with a needle, he's, he just, he's gone. So this was, this was liberating for me, okay? You can imagine, we're at dinner, I'm the focal point of all, of everything, and now all of a sudden I have someone in the room who totally gets it. Do you know what I'm saying? Who completely identifies with me. Now I have a brother in arms. You know what I'm saying? And he's got my back. And instantly, listen, listen, there's nothing that he could do to change my situation, right? I mean, I still passed out in, in those situations. There's nothing he could do. But instantly I felt understood. Instantly I felt understood. It was a powerful, powerful experience that I've had. Now, here's the deal. Whatever suffering that we are going through in our life, we actually have someone who understands, and that is Almighty God. Because he hasn't just come and and been laid in a little manger and had this cute little cuddly eight pound, six ounce perfect little life, but he has experienced what it means to be a human being and what it means to suffer everything that we could possibly suffer. He's been there. We don't just have a God in the heavens who's just up here, kind of far removed, not really caring, kind of apathetic. We have a God who knows completely our suffering. That is so powerful. So powerful. John already talked about the tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut. Words can't even really express But we have a God who knows 
our suffering. We have a God who is close to the brokenhearted. That is an amazing, amazing thing. Verse 33, it says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Last week, uh, John talked about Christ's forsakenness on the cross. He talked about how, you know, Jesus took on all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And all those sins were poured upon him on that cross. And he, he actually sacrificed himself for all those sins so that every single one of us in this world could be made righteous in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so in that moment where Jesus takes on the sins of the entire world, He cries out, and the one who is both fully God and fully human, if you can wrap your mind around that, okay, fully God and fully human at the same time, in his humanness, in his humanness, it's just too much. And he just, he cries out, why? One of the most powerful questions we can ever ask, why? And in that moment, He gives us permission to do the exact same thing. Many of us, as we think about the tragedy in Newtown, are facing that exact same question right now. Why? Why, God? How how could you let this happen? What is going on? Why in the world? Why? 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 We have permission to ask that question. Jesus asked it. And it's not just here we have permission. It's all throughout the Bible. In fact, the the biggest chunk of the Bible is the Psalms. In the Old Testament, there's 150 Psalms. And these are inspired prayers to God. If you struggle with your prayer life and trying to figure out sometimes what to pray, that's a great place. Sometimes I'll just go there and it'll help to kind of jumpstart my my prayer time. And uh, those prayers, you know what the number one type of prayer is? in the Psalms is the number one category of all the Psalms. It's the lament. It's the cry out to God. Over and over and over, you read in the scriptures, the psalmist saying, why God? How did this happen? In fact, Jesus Christ here is actually quoting from Psalm chapter 22 when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here's the deal. If you're here this morning and you're wrestling with that and you're wondering why, how, how, you know, what, you know, maybe it's over what happened in Newtown or maybe it's something else that you're experiencing in your life. The biggest thing that I can tell you is that Jesus hanging on a cross uttering those words gives you permission to ask why. He's actually expecting us to. There's many times in our lives where we kind of get spiritually stagnant, like we kind of stall out a little bit, something will happen, and we're not exactly even sure why it is that we're stalling. 
if you really spend some time wrestling with that and trying to figure out, yeah, why, why am I kind of feeling apathetic? Why, why are things not clicking for me? Why am I not motivated to go to church? Why am I not motivated to, to want to pray? If you, if you try and unpack that, you know what you'll find a lot of the time it is? Underneath all that stuff, there's some sort of why question. There's some sort of thing that you're struggling with, that you're wrestling with, that you don't understand, that doesn't make sense. And a lot of times, you know what we do? We bury that. Because we think, oh, that's not appropriate. You know, I mean, that's not respectful to God. I, I shouldn't ask that question. In fact, God is beckoning us. Come out with it. You gotta, you gotta, you, God's saying, if, if there's something, you, you, gotta, you gotta say it. And I'll tell you, I've said this before here. This is a beautiful thing about God. I, I can assure you, God is not insecure. God is not needy. God's not going to get all defensive and have some sort of a, you know, crazy reaction, okay? God is expecting us. He's beckoning us. Come with your questions. Are you going to get an instant answer? Not necessarily. But that is such an important step. And Jesus Christ, hanging on a cross, gives us that permission. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you don't understand, you've got to get that out. You've got you to clear the air with God. If you don't do that, you, you're, you'll never kind of get beyond that thing. It's so, so powerful. And I've had times in my life, you guys, where I didn't even get the answer, but just being able to voice it and just being able to put it out there was enough to be able to free me and kind of help to get beyond it. So I can't tell you how important that is. That second fill-in there, actually it's, it's the third one, it's not in a manger, but it's on the cross that Jesus understands our questioning. He understands our questioning. It gives us permission to ask whatever question we need to ask of God. So I encourage you, ask. It says in verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, the centurion was a Roman soldier who would have been responsible for Jesus' execution, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So Jesus breathes his last. He dies on the cross. And it says that there's this curtain of the temple that was torn in two. Now, what in the world is up with this curtain of the temple? So it's referring to the curtain of this temple in Jerusalem. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was where the glory of God resided. And this curtain, what this curtain did was, this separated the holiest place in the temple, where God's glory was in its fullest, it this curtain came around and it separated the people from the glory of God. And in fact, this was such a sacred place and such a sacred space that there was only one person who was allowed to enter. It was called the Holy of Holies. There was only one person that was even allowed to go in there and it was only once a year on the Day of Atonement when the Jewish people would make atonement for their sins. The great high priest would go into this room and he would meet there with God. So it says Jesus breathed his last and this, this curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What this curtain tearing in two represents 
is now there's no more separation. There's no more separation between the people and God. There's no more need for some intermediary like this great high priest that would go in and offer these prayers on our behalf. See, when Jesus died on that cross, it ultimately meant this. And you can fill it in. It's our last fill-in. It's not in a manger, but it's on the cross that Jesus gives us total access to God. Total access to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to ask a pastor to you know, make a prayer on our behalf. It's great if you want to do that, but, but ultimately, you can just go straight to God. That's what this curtain tearing into, that this is what this is all about, is that Jesus came so we would have complete and total access to God through Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 9, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, you want to see God? I'm right here. Jesus, this is, this is as plain as it gets, Jesus Christ claiming to literally be God. So he's basically saying, look, I'm here. There's no separation. There's no curtain. There's no divide. There's no need for an intermediary. You got me right here. Just come right to me. You got something you want to say? You got something you need prayer for? Just come right to me. It's not in a manger, but it's on the cross that Jesus gives us total access to God. The cross is so powerful, you guys. Christmas is a wonderful season. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But in the midst of all the familiar songs that we sing, in the midst of the familiar um, traditions that we carry out and the familiar Christmas stories of the baby Jesus coming and lying in a manger. We cannot lose sight, ultimately, of what it's all about. It goes way beyond a cute, cuddly, little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus lying in a manger. Ultimately, the reason that he came was to redeem us, to die for us. That is the meaning in Christmas. So I want to give you guys a, a challenge this morning. So uh, inevitably, uh, this Christmas, you're probably going to be around, it, around by um, a Christmas tree. You're going to be surrounded or you're going to be gathered around a Christmas tree. You're going to see Christmas trees in your, the houses of your friends or your family members or in your own house. And um, here's what I want you to do. When, you, uh, when you're looking at this Christmas tree, and it's all decorated up, and it looks so, looks so wonderful. I, I want to encourage you to, to look deeper into this tree. Because, and you can't really see with this one. This is kind of, you know, this isn't like a, a real grand one. But um, what you can see on a tree, if you really stop and you look at it, is that at its core, there's a trunk that runs vertically, straight up and down. And then you have all these branches that go in like a vertical direction like this. So if you look kind of the core of the tree, you can actually see crosses in the tree. And what I'd like to challenge you to do this Christmas season is that each time you see a Christmas tree, which is this grand celebration of Jesus Christ coming to this earth for us, I want to challenge you to look deeper, to think critically beyond just the eight-pound, six-ounce little 
golden fleece diaper, tiny little balled up fists, you know what I'm saying? Um, and to actually find the cross in the Christmas tree. Because every Christmas tree has one. And that's ultimately the meaning, the deep significance of Christmas, of what this is all about. We're going to celebrate communion today, and I'm going to ask if you are helping to serve communion this morning, if you would go ahead and, um, and <clears throat> take your positions. I want to let you know that communion at Grace is open to everybody. You can find a little blurb in the bulletin about that. But when we take communion here at Grace, ultimately what we're doing is we're remembering what this tiny little baby lying in a manger ultimately came to do. And that was to come and to die for us. And so when we take that bread, that symbolizes his body that was actually broken for us on the cross. And when we dip it into the juice, and please dip it, don't try and drink it, okay? Get a little, it gets a little awkward if you try and do that. Uh, just, just dip it into the juice. That, that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. So uh, we kind of have just a come as you are. If you would like to take communion, um, the music team is, is going to play a song. I'm going to pray for us. And um, this is just a time between you and God. Um, and and uh, so you can, you can do that as you like. So let's pray. God, we just want to say thank you so much for um, reminding us of what this Christmas season is all about. I know for me, it's so easy to get caught up in, in all the, the, the commercialization and all the decorations and, and sometimes the songs that are so familiar, I don't even hear them anymore. And I lose sight of why this makes a difference for, for me right now in my life. Lord, uh, thank you for reminding us that your greatest moment wasn't in a manger, but it was on a cross. We thank you, God, that it was on that cross that you fully understood our suffering. It was on that cross that you fully understand our need to question things. And that it was on that cross that, that no longer is there any sort of intermediary or any, anything that we have to do except just come straight to you. Lord, we just, one more time, want to lift up our neighbors up in Connecticut who are just going through such tremendous grief, unfathomable grief, horrific grief. It doesn't make sense. Lord, be with them in their suffering. We thank you that you know their suffering completely, that you grieve with them, that you're close to the brokenhearted, as your word says. We thank you that we are allowed to, to question and to struggle and to, to ask why. And there's no question, there's, no, there's nothing that, that is too big for you to take, God. Help all of us as we wrestle through and process this tragedy and other things, other tragedies in our lives too that, that oftentimes drive a wedge between us and you, God. Lord, as we take this bread and we drink this cup. We thank you. We thank you for this incredible 
divine mission that you started in a manger, but you ended on a cross. In Christ's name, amen. As you'd like, please feel free to come and take communion.